I'm amazed how many people own stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Podcast. My name's Paul, and each episode, me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news, and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember, when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax, and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. The sucker's going up. Welcome, everyone, back to the Playing Footsie podcast. We have Steve D, Steve W, and me, Briscoe, again with you for the next week to talk about all things in the stock market. We've got lots of things like earnings. I think Disney's going to pop up in this one. A couple of other earnings reports as well. And we've got a little question from somebody who left a comment. Uh, I think it's two questions, and we just want to chat about that as well because they've been really interesting questions. But first of all, as usual, I'm going to ask Steve and Steve how they've been doing in the stock market and if they've got any news from their personal life that they actually want to share. Um, hi, Paul. Hi, Steve. Hi, everyone. <laughs> uh, I think I've probably been doing the same as everyone in the stock market. Uh, stocks have generally gone up this week from what I can see of it. There's been a CPI print that was kind of better than people were expecting. Uh, that's US inflation for consumer inflation. It's up around 8.5% from this time last year. That's a, a very, very 0.2%, I think, increase month over month. So everyone's getting very excited because that combined with some comments from uh powell earlier on i think probably in july where he said yeah at some point we will stop raising rates quite so aggressively it's maybe getting people to think they can see the the finish line for this kind of series of rate hikes i'm very doubtful about that for what it's worth i think this is something of a probable false dawn or people are getting a bit carried away um so i'm expecting things to be a bit choppy uh, still going forwards um Personal-wise, it was my birthday earlier this week, um, as you can tell by the Ooh. fact that I am wearing my obvious best present, which is uh, this playing footsie t-shirt <laughs> that I uh, requested of my own design and uh, construction. And there is, I think, I believe one like it in the world, which is currently attached to my person. Um, but yeah, I had a really nice time. I, I've sent some pictures that Steve will start displaying now. I basically thought that I would try and live like my uh, my investing hero, Warren Buffett. So I thought I would just eat like him for a day, more or less. Um, and we celebrated my birthday by going to a nice kind of roadside American diner. Uh, as you can imagine, we have a lot of those in Oxford with the massive trucker community that lives here. Uh, they really like that kind of thing. But there is one um, on the way out of town. And yeah, it was great. I went there and I ate nachos and wings and ribs and chips and this sort of blondie thing at the end and had a fantastic time. So yes, very nice week, Ooh. both in the markets and in, I guess, what passes for a personal life for me these days. <laughs> inflation's not not hampering steve w everybody what's, what's going on there has the uh cpi change and more to the point the this is a question for both of you uh has it changed the way you're putting in money or changing with you uh, playing with your investments at the moment or is everything pretty much same old same old little bit. Stuff looks a bit less attractive to me than it did before, um, now that it's all sort of pushed higher a little bit. There's a few things that I'm sort of uh, kind of kicking myself for not buying a bit more aggressively before. I mean, you can only invest with what you've got available and so on, but there's there's a few things that have kind of pushed a little bit, and I thought, ah, oh, maybe I should have gone at that a little bit harder before now. Uh, stuff just looks a little bit less attractive, and I don't want to get anchored mm. to stuff, but uh, it's kind of hard not to just at the moment. Yeah, I'm sitting with uh, quite a lot of money just in my account and I don't know why I can't... Well, no, I do know why I can't do it because nothing looks really of, of good value at the minute and I know at some point I'm going to have to put it in. Uh, I just... I, I don't want a time and... Oh, I don't know. It's so hard. We've been saying this for a few weeks now. It's really, really tough to, to push it when you kind of know this is probably a false... Uh, rally in the market and it's just going to get smashed in the next couple of weeks because Michael Burry's got to be right uh, he's got to be right that this is probably due another big pullback and we've got a, a lot more, I think uh, you were talking about the Fed fund rates and uh, raise, uh, interest rate raises I think they're going to keep going, I think they're going to be more and I, I think they're going to be more aggressive with this I think it's very important sorry Steve, I cut you off there yeah, I was going to say they've they've already said today, haven't they, that they're going to keep 
they're going to keep pushing uh, ahead with the uh, with the rate rises. Inflation needs to come down. You can't have it at ten uh, percent. Even though I was listening to an interview with Demurderin today, who said that if you were going to tell everybody it's going to be at ten percent, we'd learn to live with it. I think that would be a little bit tricky. But yeah, prices, Steve, I agree, been going up, but there is still attractive pricing out there. It's just about. It's just about sort of reassessing where we are, I guess. Um, I've got a bit of cash um, available at the moment because I've been, uh, a few weeks ago, Steve and I talked about um, that we've been quite heavily building up positions that we were read in or allocating more money to positions that we were read in. We'd kind of thrown allocation sizes to the wayside. Well, now that the portfolio has, uh, or those positions, sorry, have turned green, I've been trimming them back to their desired position. So I've trimmed quite a few quite a few positions none of none of them out in full but um uh, all of them just back down to the sizes i originally wanted which is funny for for some mm. stuff i was way way over where i should have been like etsy i was i was so far over unity i was really really far over even things like coupang which had a big run up today i trimmed uh, all the way back before it fell so a bit of a market timing genius there um <laughs> But yeah, I've I've bought a few things this week though. I've bought a little bit more Boeing, um, just to prove I'm not massively anchored to it. I I had a little bet on Marquetta's earnings yesterday, which was a disaster. Um, I bought a bit of side time, which is something I did in stonks for Paul a few weeks ago, and I've got a new stock in my portfolio after their earnings on Monday, which I thought were very good, and it's Take Two Interactive. Um, which is something that at some point I will uh, hopefully deliver some uh, deep dive into or some kind of dive into it anyway. Um, but yeah, two. Paul, how about you? Oh, no, I'm, I'm interested in Take Two. Are they GTA? They are GTA, yeah. They They're GTA? Um, the new uh, socially acceptable GTA from what I was hearing of it or something like that. So I was I've saying... heard this. Okay. <laughs> Go on, carry on, carry on. I was just going to say, so one of the things that they're not, they've not been great at is mobile games. They've been particularly awful at it. Um, but they, um, they've acquired Zynga now. Um, so Zynga mm. is their mobile. Um, everything looks quite rosy on that mobile front. So I'd be interested to see what Zynga can do with Take Two's property. Um, but the other thing I was looking at as well was um, uh, recently it was announced that. Um, the from the latest from software game which name escapes me at the moment has finally surpassed uh, has finally topped the youtube uh, rankings as the most watched video game and it's actually oh, beaten right. gta which is uh which is about 13 years old now i think off the top of my head yeah so yeah. so for that to have and think about 13 years ago when that record was set um youtube uh, was obviously a lot smaller than uh, than it is today, and it just makes you think that's a really well loved property. Uh, GTA Six mm. is just around the corner. This could be this could be a real sort of uh, blowout session for mm. for Take Two. Yeah, I, I'm surprised at how the longevity of GTA really, because everyone seems to think that it's it's losing stature. But as far as I can tell, whenever I have a look through tiktok or reels or something there are always youtubers or something or gamers on gta making their own car tracks or doing all sorts of there was there was one with a mod who just goes around being a police officer and it looks like the most boring thing to watch for a start <laughs> i don't know why i was watching it uh, but it was the most boring thing to watch and even even more boring to play by the looks of things and i couldn't believe it i couldn't believe that this was still a thing and it was still going on even though uh, i thought yeah gta 5 was like 10 years old or something and and yeah pretty incredible and like you say it, it's a bit 50 50 some people think that gta has overstayed its welcome uh, Red Dead Redemption did it as well a little bit, a bit, a bit too much. But yeah, I think it still stayed. It's a very, very compelling case you got there. You've got to remember. Me, um, God, I was going to say, got to remember GTA Five was a PlayStation Three game, <laughs> not a Four. It was a PlayStation Three game, so it got moved on to the Four and then on to the now on to the Five. So that's wow, how old it is. Did not know that. Wow, I did not know that. Go on, Steve. Steve? 
Uh, just one thing you said caught my attention, Paul. I don't think it's the most boring thing to watch. I think the most boring thing to watch is something I saw on YouTube this week. I was looking at how to change uh, the toner cartridge in my printer because I've only ever had it once on one round of toner. Uh, and I found a really good video of the dude reviewing the printer and changing it. And I think he's got these for loads of other things. And he did begin the video with, uh, if this is useful to you or helpful, please do like and subscribe. And I'm not subscribing to your like printer toner <laughs> changing thing. I mean, God love you, because this is a really helpful video. And I'd be absolutely lost without it. And I have nothing bad to say about the quality of it. But I'm not getting notifications about when he's reviewed a different printer. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you liked because that's surely going to help him. Like, you I hope you like liked it. it. Yeah. But yes, so I, that's the beauty of YouTube, isn't it? It's that I, I get it all the time. If I've if I bought something from someone on Facebook or eBay and it doesn't come with the instructions, I kind of go, "How to make this?" And there's somebody on the internet who has decided to make a video on how to build a bed, a cabin bed, or and some IKEA furniture or something like that. The last one was like on this car charger thing that i got which was really outdated and i managed to find some old guy talking about radio frequencies or something it was, it was uh, and again he said like and subscribe please and i'm like no i'm not going to subscribe to your uh, your long shortwave radio channel i just want to know my bit but you give it a like because it boosts it up in case anyone else is, is is looking for it for me this week um i've had a pretty Nothing week. I think I've just worked myself to the bone this week. So, yeah, that's nothing. But in the stock market, I think I'm like everybody else. I've done very, very well. Only two shares bought this week. Oh, no, probably three or four shares, actually. I bought two shares in Disney the day before the earnings. So that did me. That did me. That was a hedge. I was like, I'm going to buy two now and I'll buy four or five the next day and i haven't done that yet and uh emerging markets vfem i bought a little bit of vfem as well just to average down a little bit on it uh even though that's probably quite risky right now uh everything's doing well everything's done really well i'm waiting for this to reverse because i saw michael Boris tweet basically saying you're all idiots why the hell are you all buying into the market right now in 2000 there was 13 bear market rallies and this is just another one. And with the with things like energy prices going up later in the year, I can't help but think he's right. You know, we're, we're set to have another, the market, the energy cap's going to go up. It's £4,000 a year, average household bills is going to be on gas and electric. This is happening all over the world. Surely this is going to be important especially for the market in the next couple of months, really. I feel like it can't not be. I mean, I, I'm trying to work out in my head whether I think this just slows down the rate of money going into markets because it's it got to, surely, or whether it does something worse, which is kind of cause money to come out of uh, markets one way or another. And there's various reasons for thinking it might do one or the other. I'm particularly interested in the kind of retail mm. side, though. I think institutional money has been making its way out for a little bit as various people kind of talk talk a bearish game uh, one way or another but i would be interested to yeah i take your point i think a general squeeze on stuff like energy prices can't be good for can't be good for businesses and can't be that good for markets either well actually i shared something on instagram the other day it just in my head just made me look it up now and it was uh two two boxes both describing the signs of a top and the signs of a bottom and the top signs are everything that we had in the past two years you know loads of ipos loads of money flowing in idiots on youtube talking about uh random stocks ridiculously high multiples so that that's we knew there was a top coming and in hindsight it was pretty obvious, right? You know, some Buru was right there. But now we've got the bottom. So we're looking for where the bottom is. And on the bottom, we've got no mergers or acquisitions. Well, that is actually still happening. We've got Amazon buying Roomba or iRobot. And we've got we've got Microsoft still buying Activision. So there are some mergers and acquisitions still happening. So that's bad. IPOs, I haven't seen any IPOs, so that might still be a sign of the bottom. Low multiples, I don't think multiples are as low as they could be, uh, not in uh, a sign of capitulation anyway. What do you think of those sorts of things as a, as a sign of the bottom? 
Well, there has to be a driver for it, doesn't there? I think the, the the market's looking for a reason to go lower, but it's not really being presented with it at the moment. I think Burry is right when he says that you know earnings compression is is what we're expecting to see next. If people's money is being uh, not spent on you know on on the things that they, they buy and it is being spent on their energy bill, uh, that's going to drain revenue and earnings from the companies that we you know we all back in the market. So that that's where I think. The earnings compression is going to come from, um, but so far, um, I mean, Burry called it the last hurrah. Whether you think it's the last hurrah or not, there's been no reason. All of the big companies that we thought would do pretty poorly at the beginning of earnings season have have done pretty well. So mm. there's been no reason to take the money out. But you know, the market is forward looking, and at any point it could decide that this is enough, and it could it could start to to withdraw you know everything away i was looking at the cornwall study and they reckon that we're going to be spending on average about 508 pound a month on energy in january so it goes up in october and then it will go up again in january um paul and i have discussed the merits before of you know potentially cashing in a portfolio to uh buy your house or to finish off paying your mortgage but i never ever thought i'd have to be doing it to pay off my gas bill uh, mm. what about you guys this is the problem this is this is it isn't it this is the the savings and the stimulus that we've all built, this is them trying to claw it back. And obviously the governments aren't trying to claw it back directly, but they're trying to keep everybody with just enough money in their pockets so inflation doesn't rise out of control. And that's the whole point of it, isn't it? It's uh, finding ways to remove excess savings and remove excess cash from people who don't deserve it. I know that's a I know that's a horrible way of, of saying it, uh, and that includes me. I probably don't deserve deserve it as as much as say CEOs of companies do, or at least in their eyes. And that's I think this is one of the ways that they're going to do it. And gas prices again were exactly the same thing, even though they're well, they're they're quite in flux at the moment. What do, what do you think? Do you think there's a way out of this? Do you think there's a way of beating the system, as it were? There's two ways to bring uh, inflation down, and that is to raise interest rates to such a degree um, that uh, they usually become higher than the rate of inflation. That tends to that tends to drag it down because it it keeps um, uh, well, it stops money being spent. Essentially, is the is the idea, and therefore the demand drops and the price therefore mm-hmm. uh, drops to go with it. The um, the other thing that they they can do, and it's the more horrible way, is that you would cause a recession uh, by uh, redu- uh, increasing your interest rates to such a degree that uh, companies don't want to hire people anymore. It's not worth hiring people. Um, they don't think they'll get the benefit of, or the demand isn't there. So therefore, you cause a recession. That, that's a horrible thing to pres- to preside over. If you think, you know, nobody goes to work uh, at the Fed or at the Bank of England with the idea that they would quite like to get a few hundred thousand people or a few million people out of a job. I think that's I think that's a particularly tricky thing to uh, you know to, to say that anybody does really. Um, but I, but they must go into it knowing that at some point in the next ten years they will probably have to do that. You know, they uh, must they must know that. I think we give them too much. Yeah, I think we give them too much credit for uh, the the control that we think they have over the economy. I think yeah. it's a fairly uh, wild piece. Demodoran has been on um, the Invest Like the Best podcast uh, with um, uh, on over the last couple of weeks, and he said that uh, inflation is like the genie in the bottle. You know, once it's in the bottle, you can laugh about it and you can say it's fun. You can say it's not coming out, but once inflation's out the bottle, it becomes very, very difficult to get back in. Uh, and that's the thing. So without causing uh, a massive recession, getting the genie back in the bottle, without causing a massive recession, without raising interest rates to the point where people's mortgages become unaffordable, um, is uh, is an incredibly, incredibly difficult task, and, and one that they won't they won't succeed in doing as. You know, you can go back no. to Fed presidents like Volcker and people like that who basically just said, look, bollocks to this. We're going rates. At, I think his rates were 8% of Volcker off the top of my head. It might have even been 15%. And he basically mm. went super, super high, caused a massive recession, but did get inflation under control. And it and it was in control from that point onwards. Um, but, you know, very, very unique uh, circumstances off the back of it. I've just finished reading Trillion Dollar Triage. Um Really interesting book if you want a, uh, an insight into what uh, Jerome Powell and the team at the Fed were doing 
during coronavirus and, and over that period. But you get a sense that um, they don't they don't know what their actions are going to do. They can only surmise what they think will happen off the back of it. And they don't know the extremities of what's going to happen. So when they say we're going to have to give this money to this or we're going to have to reduce rates to this, they know that down the line that's going to cause inflation. But they can only guess that it's going to cause 1% or 2%. I, I wouldn't have said any of them would be saying we're going to be looking at 10 um, but yeah, that, it's an interesting, it's an interesting scenario. But it, uh, I don't know. I think it's something we shouldn't really dwell on as investors. Should we be calling for it? So investors, wise because this is a very contentious subject. Should we be going to ourselves? Let's just get the recession out of the way. Let's just really kick up those interest rates and get ourselves into a recession, and just hope that we're not one of the ones which fall short on our mortgages. Or should we be doing this dance and doing this all this uncertainty? He- you've got to be careful because you can't ignore the political aspect of it. So, um, you know, Biden is coming up for re-election. The last thing he'll want is an absolutely huge recession, inflation and a wild Fed on his watch. So there is an element of, you know, the Fed have to, even though they say they don't, they have to play a little bit of politics and and the Bank of England do too. Um, So it's tricky, really. I don't think because a president and uh well prime minister as well their, their, their lifespans are very very short in terms of re-election periods you've got to be very careful in the uh, the things that you do to you know to counter things like inflation um i think and, and also if your term ends on a recession that puts the other party because we're all in a two-party system essentially that puts the other party in power for the next 10 maybe even 15 years because they look awesome coming out of it because that's just how these things bounce back it's probably nothing to do with what they've actually done it's just because that's the way the cookie crumbles basically and if you leave on that recession you put your opposition party in power for the next god knows how long without any contention the the problem we have now is that we have people like Liz Truss, who's arguably about to go into power, who is talking about reforms on the Bank of England uh, and and having more political power and a less independent Bank of England. Um, that's the issue you get when you let the politics get too close to you know to the actual banks themselves. They do need to be independent. I fully I fully believe that they need to be able to make their own decisions, free of uh, at least all of the political pressure at least free of some political pressure um but yeah it's a it's a tough time i i, I you know when you read if you get chance to read trillion dollar treasure and i would recommend it, it's a very interesting book it's not a particularly long book uh, you get to see the real pressure that uh, these people were under uh, especially when they couldn't even meet up and talk about what they were going to do they were essentially zoom zoom calling each other and calling each other but uh, you know these guys are working uh guys and girls were working full-time around the clock to to try and resolve this issue and unfortunately you know you've got the issue that america's got now which has kind of bled around the world and um one of the interesting things that um that that has that's come out of it essentially is that uh, powell isn't isn't a quantitative easing guy not in any way shape or form he, he was kind of the opposite of that he was uh he was uh, in the Fed while Bernanke was there and he was not a fan of the free money economy and it kind of got thrust upon him as that was the only scenario that they could really have to uh, to save America's economies and, and obviously the US consumer at, at that point. So yeah, a really interesting read, I must admit. You guess what he wants now? He can be the money hoover now. He created all this money and now he can hoover it all up again. That's what, <laughs> yeah. that's what we're looking for, right? Yeah. Uh, just just getting back to the original point which is like signs of the bottom the last four on this list are very interesting to me so the signs of the bottom credit only available to high quality borrowers investors are cautious or out of the market negative front covers of newspapers and magazines and negative and depressed consumer sentiment out of those four are you seeing any of those at the moment do you think any of those exist right now I think we're seeing credit tightening a little bit um, it feels to me like mm-hmm. I'm just starting to see that in the housing market near where I am. I've seen starting to see prices go up by less or even stagnate in a couple of places because obviously the biggest kind of uh, line of credit most people are going to take ever is a mortgage. Um, and they've become more expensive with rising, incre- rising sorry, interest rates. I'm not sure as they're less available necessarily, I guess, to high quality people, but mm. I mean, lenders are willing to lend a lot less um, and they're only willing mm. to lend at kind of higher rates, which I suppose is a bit more 
small c conservative uh, when it comes to this sort of thing. Mm. Retail sentiment going down. I hadn't seen that particularly. I mean, there's no. a sense in which uh, everyone's complaining about the price of petrol and that sort of thing. I mean, that's that's not positive sentiment, and it will kick through. I mean, we saw sort of. I think it was Walmart uh, in the States talking about the fact that everyone is busy spending all their money on food and uh, gas um, and basically got no money to spend on anything else effectively. So their sales of everything else are down because their sales of what we might call essentials are are effectively flat. So I suppose there's some coming off Mm. consumer sentiment there. I haven't seen much, by the way, of investors running for the hills, which is what I'm really looking to see in terms of signs for a bottom. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. It's a... I was I pointed them out because I don't see them. I think I could still get quite a hefty credit card if I wanted to. I could definitely still get quite a hefty mortgage if I wanted to right now. Uh, I'm definitely not out of the market or well, cautious, but not out of the market. And negative front covers of newspapers. All I see is CNBC and YouTube with the negativeness. I don't see it on the front cover of BBC or anything else just yet. So... These things, and of course, no, I don't think there's a depressed uh, consumer sentiment. You've been out partying uh, for your birthday at, at swanky hotel, uh, swanky hotels and restaurants. So, <laughs> no, I know, I know you were, but it's still, um, it, it, it's not there, is it? None of that is there, which is a very scary sign to me that there's more to come, and I. I just want to hold on to my money, basically. I think it's been a temporary reprieve. Though. I think we have had some pretty, you know, uh, we're only a month into what has been a decent, you know, a decent period. There there was a period before this where everything was doom and gloom and uh, Jeremy Grantham was being wheeled out to say more things and Michael Burry was having a field day because his predictions were coming right. Um, and then we've just had this little reprieve where, you know, all of a sudden the markets have turned happy again. Um but there's a lot of signs on there that we're not in. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of signs that we're not in the bowl, and there's a lot of signs that we're not in the bear. So, um, I, you know, it's it's not my job to guess these things, and I think it'd be stupid of me to do so. I think we this is the same thing when we were in the bull market, same thing we're in the bear market. You just got to look for good companies at good prices and buy them. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so we've got two questions from Noob Investor this week. Uh, They they were quite interesting because uh, they're all about price targets. (laughs) Um, The first question is, what fundamentals do you use for price targets? Uh, Often you say, like, you like stock X at certain price, and he's just wondering how X is calculated. I don't think we actually do say that do we we don't actually come on here and say i like this stock at this price do we i've definitely said i would like something if it was cheaper quite a lot um and i there may well mm. be times where i've said how much cheaper i can't think of any offhand you're right about that paul but definitely it's been the case where i've looked at something and said i don't like this priced here uh, and i liked it a lot more mm. i don't know two weeks ago priced at whatever it was and that's partly just because the number from two weeks ago is lower than the number today. So, yeah, obviously I like it better at that number than this number, right? Who doesn't? Um, but I think this is a really good question uh, for what it's worth because we do talk about kind of numbers a little bit. And it, you often hear when you kind of listen to uh, big, bigger investors than us sort of talking about fundamentals and valuation and saying, well, look, it's about what you pay and what you get. And they never give you any idea really of how to calculate that, partly because... It's not in their interest to do that. Otherwise, everyone would be crawling all over the stocks they want to buy and that would push the prices up on them a bit. Um, And the other reason I think it's a great question is because I don't have a fixed answer. So it kind of comes down to uh, the what you pay and the what you get of it uh, for me. But there is there's a good reason why I can't tell you, look, I just read this number and this number and this number on the balance sheet and then add these two together and divide them by this other one. And if that number is bigger than six, uh, buy the stock. Um, There's some rough ideas I can give you to kind of help. Uh, though right I mean Charlie Munger has this really nice thing that I think a lot of value investors would do well to listen to right where so he says we don't have this kind of formula where if anyone could get rich if they could just punch the numbers into a calculator and press equals uh, or something like that because different companies work in different ways but assuming what you're looking at is not a bank and not a utility um, I would try and work it out something like this Uh, I would try and work out how much you're going to have to pay out and the debt you're going to take on so I would take the market cap 
add the debt to it and take off the cash, basically. So I'm thinking, look, if I bought this business, I would have all of this debt as a liability and I would have all this cash to go and deal with it. Um, and that will generally give you a number. And that's how I roughly think about what I'm trying to pay. And then I will look at a number, assuming it's not a bank or a utility, which will probably be free cash flow. And I would treat that as a rough return. So I will say, look, free cash flow is 6% of the number I basically quoted is enterprise value, if you like the names of these things. Um, and I will view that as a return and then try and work out, look, do I think that number's going up or down or the same? Um, and what does that imply about my kind of return one way or another? If it's a bank, just very quickly, that's tricky because debt isn't the same thing for a bank as it is for a different company. That's what they use to make money. So what I would do there is try and compare the price to book to the return on equity. So how many times equity you have to pay versus the return you get on it. And if it's a utility, free cash flow is a different matter there because their free cash flows are nearly all negative because when they report them, there's a difference between what they call growth capex and maintenance capex. And you have to go digging through their kind of report to figure out which is which to get the right number for free cash flow there. So leaving those two aside for a moment, those are longer projects for another day when we talk about stuff in more detail. That's broadly how I think about valuation, at least for mature businesses anyway. Something like an enterprise value, something like a free cash flow number, making sure that I don't think there's anything particularly weirdly skewing those numbers. Um, and that's how I kind of figure, look, is that return 6%, 2%, 8%, whatever it is, something I think is attractive. If yes, buy it. If no, don't buy it. Yeah, so mine's a little bit different to Steve's in that I run basically a modified version of Demodoran's spreadsheet for my valuations. Um, so I'm looking at uh, modeling growth rates uh, and I usually use on younger companies a net margin that's based loosely off its competition. Um, if I'm looking at something that I don't actually follow or don't model myself, I'm generally just running off a multiple of gross profit uh, for, for a young company, for, for a company that's free cash flow positive. Uh, I'm looking at free cash flow, a multiple of that, uh, and, and obviously earnings for a mature business. Uh, so I'm trying to be fair most of the time. I, I, I've been, I've spent a lot of time reading Demodoran and watching Demodoran and learning how to use his spreadsheet. And I, I he's got a saying that everything has a price essentially. Uh, and I try to look really hard sometimes to find the value. So I, the thing I hate the most is when you see somebody come up and say, I can't get this price to anywhere near 130. It's 40. And you think, no. It's you know it's not going to be that far out. Um, you know I'd like to, you know, and I, I like I like to work hard to figure out where the value is. So for instance, just as an example, we were talking on the Discord yesterday about Disney, and somebody was saying, "Oh, we're paying." Uh, you know, there's no EPS growth in in Disney even after these earnings, and and I said, "Well, yeah, but you've you've got to factor in the fact that you know Disney are actively spending a massive chunk of cash on on content at the moment. So EPS is just not a figure that they care about at the moment. They they don't." They don't give a flying shit about what their EPS figure is. So judging them off something like their EPS is, is probably not what they want you to judge judge them on. So you've got to find the metric that they are. Or you've got to modify the EPS to figure out what that figure would be if they weren't just throwing all of the cash they generated onto content. So you could do something like you could take Netflix's um, margin and you could apply Netflix's margin to disney plus add disney plus onto the rest of the disney business and then you will get an eps which you've modified to find a probably what's likely going to be a more fair result so that that's what i'm doing i'm heavily into looking at the data and adding bits back in uh, to try and uh, find where the value is in a company and i don't always get there. there's a lot of times i've gone to steve like with palo alto and gone how do you get to 500 on palo alto steve because i'm at like 120 and i just can't get anywhere near it and and it, we very rarely get anywhere near it um but you know there are companies like that but i don't think you know when i watch everything money and they, they tell me everything should be a third i don't believe that <laughs> yeah um and for me i just look at youtube and do exactly the opposite so speaking of disney um we had a pretty good day with disney today so because you just mentioned disney and netflix like 20 times i'll allow you to continue with it what's happened to disney is it better should we be buying it and uh, 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 oh it's amazing and go for it so Disney's results were really good. Um, have you got the? Has anybody got the figures? Because I haven't actually got the headline numbers on them. But um, 
I have the headline numbers. I don't have the beat or miss because it's not really something I pay much yeah. attention to. I mean, oh. one of the themes I've been harping on this kind of earnings uh, season has been, look, my investment thesis isn't based on the idea that this number is going to be bigger or smaller than consensus in this quarter. I'm interested in where it's going over time. So I've got the kind of headline numbers for you, if Go you like, it. and I've got Let's the bits of it that I kind of cared about. So revenues were $21.5 billion, which was up 26% uh, year over year, so compared to the kind of same quarter a year ago. Earnings per share was $1.09, which was up 36%. Subscriber numbers was the other kind of key metric that CNBC thought they would pull out. That was 152.1 million, which was 31% higher. They added 14.4 million in the quarter. Um, I won't say any more than that for the moment. Those are just the kind of uh, the broad numbers, as it were. I've got plenty more thoughts on it, but that's what we got for some basic numbers. Yeah, so not a record quarter for them because their quarter one was actually a, a, a much bigger quarter for them. So even though they've added all these subscriptions and what have you, there must have been some slippage in the parks and revenue and what have you, at least from Q1, um, which I suppose probably includes Christmas. So you would uh, you would assume that that's, that's why that's a little bit. Disney's on for a record revenue year uh, by a long shot. I think it's probably going to beat its last best year by about 18 or 19 billion, uh, providing they have a good Q4. But... Um, I think this was a much-needed break for Chapek. I think he's had a pretty dodgy start to his tenure. He's made a few mistakes, and I think uh, having Bob Iger around, hanging around, pretending he's not uh, involved in the business has not helped Chapek a massive amount because he's been a very well-loved part of the Disney team. Um, so Disney is an interesting thing to look at because it's a company that was sort of snailing around and they've managed to you know, flip, flip a switch and, and turn themselves into a bit of a growth monster. Um so, uh, you know, I think, like I said earlier, if they can get Netflix-like margins out of a Disney Plus, this is going to be, uh, uh, or should be, a very good investment for us. Um, just a quick on Disney Plus. Um, so they've got 152 million subs now. 58 of them are Hotstar customers. I think they're pretty crappy customers, to be honest, uh, in terms of the revenue yeah. they generate. There's nothing out of that. Domestic growth was actually is actually slowing a lot. They only added a million subs um, sequentially. 6 million internationally and 8 million crap onto hot, onto Hotstar. Um, content spend, 30 billion, 10 billion of that is on live sports, so 20 billion essentially on Disney Plus uh, and, and, mm. and, and other products. They, they reckon that they're going to continue to increase that spending. So they're now, they're now out spending Netflix on content and they think they're going to go into the low 30 billions next year. Um, so there's a potentially going up another 10%. Um, so I was looking into that and I, I've been showing the guys a, a website, which I'll link in the description if I remember. Uh, but that means that Disney has spent about 7 billion on content for Disney plus, uh, that burned 7 billion on content. Sorry, lost, uh, 7 billion on content. And that was another billion added to that this quarter. So I was looking at what they're going to do, uh, and they've announced price hikes across the board, about 38% being added to the prices, uh, which is a big increase, and this is what tripped up Netflix. Um, so again, to quote the murderer for the 17th time today, uh, he said that he has doubts whether streaming is inflation resistant. And, uh, it, you know, there's been no precedent, so you can assume that, uh, you know, we won't know until it's happened. Um, so... In our in our regard at home, we're probably going to cancel Disney Plus because we don't really watch it, and we've got Marvel fatigue, mm. and they're just going to offer me a cheap deal whenever something on something Star Wars comes on that they want me to uh, want me to watch. Um, but I was interested to see that the park rates are not going up, and Chapek says that there's no softening in demand there. Um, pretty interesting, pretty interesting report for me. I thought it was it was pretty good. Yeah, it's 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 a wonder where to start, isn't it? Um, interesting saying you're going to cancel Disney Plus. Is that that's mainly because I don't think it caters to your household as a yeah potentially uh, yeah as a couple because in our household it's the opposite. In our household, we are looking at our streaming services right now, and Netflix is at the bottom with Amazon above Netflix right now because Amazon actually has. Uh, put in a lot of kids stuff so where if our kids do get fed up with disney even though he just watches spider-man constantly oh it's just on repeat constantly um he's well gone off netflix and anything that's on netflix uh can be gathered in small parts on youtube uh which is something you might want to look at as well Amazon actually has 
has a lot going on. And I think we should give a little bit more time to Amazon, particularly as it's bundled in with everything else that you do. And Amazon has got a really cool strategy there. Netflix is at the bottom right now, and we are having serious conversations about whether we should get rid of it. However, is it is it re- recession or inflation proof? I think it is. I think TV in general is um, inflation proof or recession proof. And I, but I don't think individual companies are. So I think this is going to be a very much switcheroo kind of deal right now. I think when something good comes on on certain. Uh, platforms I think you might hop to it if you're uh, if you're becoming savvy with your money which I think is what people are going to do over the next uh, 12 months basically I think people are going to become very savvy and what we're going to find is it's going to be hard become harder to unsubscribe from some of these places in an attempt to keep the stickiness the thing about Netflix what was so important about it was because no one else had a shine to it whatsoever. It's stickiness was so important. And that was a big part of its moat. That moat isn't there. Anymore. I think Disney is a genuine contender and the coming from Netflix right now, Netflix was obviously the clear winner, the clear leader. And I think that is a lot more murky now after the, particularly after these results, uh as to whether it is going to be a clear leader over disney because technically and and the the lead headline that everyone's gone with is technically disney now has more subscribers than uh netflix if you introduce hulu and it it is a lot and like you say hot star is is kind of a non-revenue kind of thing uh if in case anybody don't know hot star is the indian side of disney we actually here in the UK have Star, and I don't know if that, if if that where that comes from, if that's in a separate um, release of uh, users, or if it's lumped in with the Indian Hot Star, or if it's uh, lumped in with uh, Hulu. But there's a lot to there's a lot to this. It's very complicated, and from what I can see, Disney's very strong at the moment. It's interesting the inflation thing. I, I very much take Steve's view of we're going to see. I thought the Disney pricing stuff that I was reading was quite clever. So like Netflix, they're introducing an ad-supported tier, I think. And the way I saw it broadly was that pricing is going to stay the same if you'll take ads being introduced. It goes up by the sort of 30-ish percent Steve was talking about uh, if you want to stay ad-free. Uh, which was interesting to me for a couple of reasons. Uh, one was that I, I was trying to work out sort of what sort of price I thought these ad-supported things might go in at, and it's not like a super cheap get as many people onto the thing as yeah. you possibly can. They're, they're yeah. sort of keeping the thing where it mm. is, uh, which is, brave. I thought, quite brave. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which go- tells me that Disney think they have pricing power, at least. Yeah, You're going to the same place I was going to go with this. Um, I thought... So everybody is talking really heavily about how this is just network TV all over again. We've basically got to the point now where it's disrupted network TV. Network TV is over. Cable TV is gone. And now we're all going to be streaming through the Internet. So that 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 battle's done. It's over. Long gone. So now we have to develop the same pricing as network TV and what Netflix and Disney, and I think they've got together here. I think that all these streaming services have got together here and done a bit of price fixing and said, we don't want to go to zero and ad supported because that is what TV is ultimately. TV ultimately had a zero um, subscription fee, but it had ad supported revenue. Disney and Netflix have the opportunity to do that, but they clearly want to squeeze a little bit more out of you and think that they can, like you say, with pricing power. I I would expect, as a a millennial, as an elder millennial, I'll go with elder millennial, as an elder millennial consumer, I would expect an ad-supported tier to be ad-supported only and no subscription. However, I think younger people might go for that and that's the generational change and i think they've got pricing power for that reason i think that um so i think disney thinks it's got pricing power but i'm not as certain about that as as uh, as i could Agree? be i don't think any of them 
particularly have pricing power. I think if if we were going to say any of them delivers value for money, you have to say it's Amazon Prime just because of the the deliveries that you get tapped onto. I think you even get a free audiobook now, don't you? Every every month as well. Deliveroo as well. Yeah, Deliveroo. Deliveroo. Yeah, and and it's. I mean, they've just put their prices up twenty percent, and and they're uh, yeah. they're expecting pretty decent growth to continue on Prime. But I don't think that's particularly expensive either. I think it's nine quid a month for Prime, and you get the deliveries as well. That's yeah. that's pretty good. Hundred and twenty a year, I think, and I don't pay it because I've got Vitality Life Insurance, so I just don't pay it anyway. Yeah, because uh, they give it me free, so well, it's weird. One of the selling points of Disney Plus and Netflix for me has always been that they don't have ads. So if they're going to say, well, you know, we're going to jump your price up thirty eight percent, but you can keep it the same if you have ads, I'd sooner not have it. Uh, and I think that's, mm-hmm. um, I think that's a problem that they're going to have a lot. I think it's just a wrong time to be putting thirty eight percent price increases onto people. I think, I think you know just. They could have waited a year just, you know, for hopefully the Ukraine-Russia uh, war to finish and for gas to start flowing back into Europe and, you know, people's energy bills just to come down a little bit. Surely, or... surely they can make it like YouTube. Surely they can make it like YouTube, just free with ads. Surely they can do that. And uh, I don't know. I, well, I'm not sure. They could make it like Spotify, so you have to listen to 40 hours of advertising for every minute of music you want to listen to. Um, you know, make it so agree, <laughs> make it so egregious that you have to, you have to like, so annoying that you have to pay for it. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, then you have to watch 15 episodes of something else before you can see exactly. Your show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, watch, yeah, watch want to watch Stranger yeah. Things? Here's two episodes of Is It Cake. It's a Paul's question, though, of should we be buying this stock? I mean, the stuff we've said so far does sort of reinforce my thought of, I want to say instantly yes, right? My my gut reaction to this is Disney is one of these companies like Buffett called the Inevitables. Uh, he was talking about Coke and Gillette sort of several years ago, back in sort of 94 or so. But Disney is a company that I want to say instinctively, yeah, sure, right? You don't bet against this company. And then I sort of dig deeper and I can see a lot of reasons why this is more complicated than it makes that makes it sound um so firstly it's a really old business obviously and with old businesses we sort of tend to straight line their growth upwards and slowly uh and think okay so it's not going to grow very fast because it's big and it's old and they ain't going to build any more parks at least not that many uh and you get the general thought here but it is kind of in growth mode because it's got the disney plus thing and the disney plus thing i'm also really sympathetic for what it's worth to the idea that this is quite hard to evaluate because their revenues are up 19 percent and their losses just go up and up and up and up. It's not like one of these loss-making companies where you think, oh, it's going to make a bit less and a bit less and a bit less and a bit less, and then it will tip over into profitability at some point. This is going to be a kind of, uh, I think, Monzo-y-like um, business where basically it loses money per customer. So as it adds customers, it loses more money. And then the whole thing kind of flips over and suddenly becomes massively profitable one way or another. That's not, of course, a precise number or anything like it, right? I didn't say anything about when it will or how profitable it's going to be. Um, so I can see lots of good reasons about uh, to to kind of think, look, this is a tricky proposition to try and evaluate. The shares are now $119, by the way. That's November 2018 prices uh, mm-hmm. when I look back across the chart. So if you bought it back then, they did pay a dividend and then they stopped in the pandemic. So you would have got something from now, but you get the point, not an awful lot. And since then, the share count's up 22%, uh, and the debt's up 170%, or long-term debt is anyway. Obviously, there's now this Disney Plus thing. They've made a bunch of acquisitions since then. I think Fox was a more recent acquisition, built out a load more stuff. Is it worth it? Um, I can see sensible room for thinking the answer is no, uh, for what that's worth. And to sort of the point that Steve was saying with his discussion with a Discord user, I know who the user was. Um, Look, it's one thing to think, yeah, okay, they don't care about EPS, But you're entitled to choose what you care about Mm -hmm. uh, as an investor. And if EPS now is important to you, which I got the impression from the conversation he was having that this is an investor who thinks it is important to them, absolutely nothing the matter with the idea that you shouldn't own Disney shares uh, in that situation. Because, look, you're allowed to choose cash today companies or companies with very obvious, measurable kind of easy progressions going forwards. I don't think there's anything disreputable about that at all. Um, And Disney might well not fit into that camp for quite a lot of people. I... If I'm honest, it's not the company that I have the best explanation of of why I own it. It does lean quite a lot on the sort of inevitables thing for me. I, mm. wait, uh, the previous question that we had was about price targets and so on. I'm not entirely sure what I think mine is for Disney. 
Yeah, it's a tough one. You, you're looking at 2008, November 2018 prices, but we're looking at 2019 level revenue right now. Um, and that's likely to be even higher by the end of the year. They're going to do pretty well. And also, I think it was yeah, to, to late 2019 cash flow. Well, free cash flow as well. So there's quite a lot going on. And um, I, I mean, I, ha I hate to bring it up, guys, but uh, Sharpek uh, mentioned the dividend coming back. Uh, it's the first time they've mentioned the really? dividend. Yeah, the first time they mentioned the dividend in three years. Don't get me wrong. He didn't say it was coming anytime soon. And I agree wholeheartedly that that should not happen. They're actually very keen on um, the dividend coming back once they've deleveraged. So once they've yeah. got rid of some of this debt and they've used some of this cash to get rid of it, then they're going to start reinstating for their older customers who, uh, if you own Disney shares prior to 2019, you're probably dead now, right? Aren't you? Like that was the, they were the only people that were, that owned, uh, shares, Disney shares prior to 2019, uh, it was, um, pensions, wasn't it? Pensions and people, counting on the income that was the whole point of it uh is a dividend wanted from walt disney at this time well i, I wouldn't be in a rush to um i mean it, obviously if it gets paid out you've got to accept it haven't you but I, i'm not in a rush for them to pay a dividend. <laughs> I, I would sooner them get that share count down a little bit um and i would get that debt down first and foremost um that's in a it's a lot of debt it's a lot of debt to add back into the market cap um and uh, you know they Disney will be the sort of business uh, in the future, providing uh, Disney Plus turns out to be what we expect it to be. Uh, that that should generate a lot of cash. So that share count should, you know, it should be quite easy to get that share count down, get that debt down. Because um, I think, you know, one of the things is, is that uh, one of the problems is that we're going to have is that Disney is already at 2019 levels with a quarter left to go, uh, but its revenue per share is not going to end up a massive amount more than uh, what it was in 2019, and that that's a problem. Steve and I have highlighted that on a number of occasions. You know, when you see shares outstanding going up, if revenue per share, cash flow per share, whatever metric you're looking at, is going up faster. Don't worry about shares outstanding going up, or at least you know don't spend all your time worrying about it. Uh, but with Disney, the issue is that you know revenue is going to go up maybe twenty, thirty, forty percent, but revenue per share is not going to be massively higher. Mm. I mean, this is a service we provide, isn't it? I've seen like apps and stuff that will tell you when dividends are getting paid and stuff. But follow this show, right? We'll tell you when <laughs> dividends are like speculatively appearing in the future because we got Paul here and he has his eye on a dividend even if it isn't getting paid for another five no, years or something yet. No, we definitely don't need it at the moment. We definitely need to get that share count down. We definitely need to get rid of all that debt. And uh, it, it, it's there though. It, you know, it, it was enough to just tease. There was an 8% rise like straight away. I don't know what it ended up on in the end of the day, about 5%, something like that. Very, very interesting. Um, what we'll do, we'll leave it there because we've done that one to death. Noob Investor, we've got a second part of your question coming on a different week. So at least we've got one listener to retain after this. Uh, you can stick around and listen for that on another show. Um, but right now, we'll leave you there. Will Any other earnings that anybody wants us to talk about, share our information on. Uh, let us know in the comments below. Let us know on the uh, Spotify and wherever you listen your, uh, to your podcast. And we will see you next week.